have a very special, special, special day today. Elder John Penhollow is going to be bringing the word today. So I need you to put your hands together and make him feel welcome as he comes. Morning, church. Morning. You know it's pretty crazy. Because we hear it every week how God confirms and how he confirms and how he confirms and how he confirms. Just so you know, I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. Two weeks ago, pastors contacted me about speaking this morning. But see, what pastors didn't know is that two months before that, I'd already started to prepare a word for something that was coming in June. And then I got to looking at the date that they asked me to speak, and it's Family Sunday. And you know what the fun part about it is? This word is for the family that he had already started to give me two months prior. All service, as you will see shortly, has been tying in to what the Lord has given me to speak this morning. <laughs> Those of you who are at Bridal Line, it almost caused me to change what I was going to speak because every speaker spoke basically from the word that I'm going to speak this morning. So you know what that tells me? God's got something for you to hear. God's got something for us all to learn. God's got something for us this morning. If you will open your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we are going to read verses 1 through 7. When you have it, let me hear you say amen. Verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray, Lord, that you will seal up this word, God. And God, that you will give us ears to hear what you have to say this morning. 
I pray, God, Lord, that more than anything, you will get me completely out of the way, Father God, and just speak through me. Because <laughs> God, my desire is just to hear from you. <laughs> and you alone. Father, allow me to be your mouthpiece today. I pray, God, Lord, that lives will be set free. I pray, Lord, for healings, for miracles, for signs, for wonders, God. I pray, Lord, for salvation today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. If I was going to title this message, when I initially titled this message, <laughs> I titled it, It's Not All Her Fault. And so I'm just going to go ahead and preface it and say this. I'm coming for it today. I'm coming for it today. Genesis. In the Strong's Greek, 1078, the definition of Genesis is the origin or the birth. Genesis is the foundation. It's the ground floor of the Bible. If we don't understand Genesis, especially chapters 1 through 3, we won't be able to understand what follows after the book of Genesis. Too often we have gotten past Genesis and we have forgotten the importance of Genesis. Well, if we don't know what Genesis is talking about, our foundation that we've been talking about all morning will not be set at all. <coughs> Genesis is the beginning. It is the core. It is the foundation. So I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I'm going to pause right there. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Genesis 1 verses 26 already sets the precedent, precedent of a triune God. It's there in Genesis 1. Triune God. Then it goes on to say, let them have dominion. If you have your Bibles underlined, dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male, and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And here we see that word again, underline it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What is dominion, John? 
Dominion is control or the exercise of control, sovereignty. He gave man and woman control over all that was on the earth. I want to say it again. I want you to catch that. He gave them dominion, control over all the animals, everything that was on the earth at that point in time. They had authority over them. And then when you go down to verse 31 of chapter 1, it says this, Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. In verses 26 through 28, we read about creation of human beings in chapter 1. More specific details about the creation and the environment are found in chapter 2, though, in verses 4 through 25. These two accounts work together to teach us a couple things. One, both man and woman are God's special creation. And they're not products of evolution. The second thing is this. Man and women were both created in God's image and likeness, which means they could actually respond to a unique personal relationship with God that reflected his love and character. And in verse 31, it said, and God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. If you remember, when it was talking about the first six days of creation, he said he looked and saw that it was good. But at the end of chapter 6, and um, um, uh, when it talks about the sixth day, at the end of chapter 1, verse 31, he sat back and reflected and didn't say it was just good, but it was very good. Very good. And I want to tell you all something. When God does something, he does it right the first time. Numero uno, first time. There is no mistake with God. He made male, female. Two genders, not an endless number of genders. Male and female. It's crazy to see that the devil, once again, is attacking the woman today. Nowadays, our government leaders can't even define what a woman is. And this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to say this. I want you to hear it. Isn't it funny? They're attacking the woman and not being able to define what a woman is. They ain't saying nothing about a man. They're attacking the woman. Why are they attacking the woman? Why are they attacking the woman? Why did the devil single out Eve? Because she's the seed carrier. Well, let that sink in for a second. She is the seed carrier. Woman, women, you are the seed carrier. If the devil can, see, uh, can kill the seed, before it ever starts to grow, then he can destroy all the works of God. 
if he can. It kills me, it hurts me, it burdens me, it saddens me. And it's hard to believe that we have pastors over huge churches. And when I say huge churches, I mean huge churches. That are standing in the pulpit and they're preaching and teaching that God made a mistake. And if they would have been there, this is what this, is what this uh, pastor had said. If he would have been there, he would have told God, you were wrong. And hey, maybe you should redo this. Or maybe you should rethink a thing. Let me ask you a question. Who was the last person to challenge God and say, your authority isn't good enough? I'm going to go back to verse 31 again. And God, he looked at everything and he said, it is very good. God doesn't make any mistakes. I need you to help me a little bit. Look at your neighbor and say, God don't make any mistakes. Look at your other neighbor and say, hey, in case you didn't hear it the third time, God doesn't make mistakes. So to tie it all together, Genesis 1 gives us a broad summary of creation, okay? Genesis 1 gives us a broad summary of creation. And then in Genesis 4 through 25, it gives us the detailed account of creation of Adam and Eve, okay? There are so many theories about these two chapters, it's unreal. There's a lot of them. I had to stop researching them because it made my brain hurt. There's so many theories. But a couple of the ones that jumped out to me, one of the theories is, was Adam and Eve really created on day six or after day six? Adam and Eve. That's a question. Because if you go back, if you go back in chapter one, in verse 27, it says he created them in his own image. The image of God, he created him, male and female. That's before chapter 2. Well, then it says he put Adam to sleep and took the rib. You got to study to show yourself approved, church. Because if you don't know the truth, then the devil has a window. that he can just worm in and say, did God really say? But let me tell you something. You know how I am with numbers. Those of you who know me, I'm a nerd when it comes to numbers and what they mean, right? You know what's awesome? Day six, God created man and woman. Guess what six is the number of? Man. So there's the answer to your question right there. God created male and female on day six. It's in the word. Another one is, <laughs> another theory is, I like this one, and people, you'll like this one too because it's kind of sci-fi. It is, <laughs> were there some kind of other persons made in the image of God? So did he like make some other like alien offspring in the image of God in chapter one, but then 
chapter two, he really made Adam and Eve. Man, I went down that rabbit trail for a minute and whoo, I had to get out of that one. That one hurt. But these are actual theories that people discuss and use to try to muddy the waters and cause confusion. But we know who the author of confusion is. When in doubt, y'all, go to the word. When in doubt, go to the word. Ask for wisdom and understanding and God will reveal it to you, but you've gotta do your part. You gotta do your part in researching. You have to set time aside to start diving into the word and seeing what it's really saying. Y'all, we have to stop killing the seed that gets planted in our souls week after week. Sunday after Sunday, conference after conference, we are blessed here in this church to have the most anointed pastors, bishops, prophets to teach and to preach. But if they preach and teach and plant that seed in our hearts and our souls, and we don't water that seed by digging in further, we kill the seed that was planted in our souls while we were at church. And if we're not careful, then that will cause us not to produce good fruit. Which is exactly what the devil wants. Because the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And as I taught the other week in Sunday school about the fruit and good fruit, what happens if your trees aren't producing good fruit and they have dead limbs? They get cut off, and then where do they go? The fire. There's a reason why Jesus used that. There's a reason why he used that. Let's get back into our text in chapter three. Verse one says, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. What is cunning? Cunning is marked by or given to artful subtlety or deceptiveness. Another definition of cunning is this, delicately pleasing, pretty, or cute. That's interesting because I'm sure most all of us would not say that a snake was pretty or cute. I know me for one would not. I'm a big old boy, you get a snake near me, I'm gone. I don't play with snakes, no, that don't happen. There's a whole nother story to that, but that's for another time. There are some scholars who believe that the original Hebrew word nahash not only means serpent, but also angel of light. If you remember, who was the most beautiful angel of all the angels? Lucifer. He was the most beautiful. So then that would kind of make cunning very interesting that they use that in the word. With that in mind, the serpent may have been a beautiful creature. And since the fall had not happened yet, there wasn't anything to fear. The interesting thing about snakes is this. There are two main types of snakes, okay? Two. 
One type of snake will squeeze their prey to death like a python. Squeeze them, choke them out, take the air out of them, and kill their prey. Then the other, the other kind of snake is one that will bite their prey and inject them with poison to kill them, like a viper with fangs. He'll bite and inject poison into the bloodstream to kill you. I believe the serpent here in Genesis, it does not say, let me say that first, but I believe the serpent here in Genesis was like a viper. Because once he bites Eve with the spirit of doubt, which then caused sin and the fall of man, that poison now flows through the bloodstream of every human for all eternity. But aren't you thankful that because of one man, sin entered the world? God sent one more man into the world to bring grace, to set us free from the poison of sin, death, hell, and the grave. And if you're wondering where to find that, that's in Romans 6, 12 through 21. John, why are you giving us so much scripture? Don't be lazy and sit here and listen to me. Go home and research and find it for yourself. You got to. Further down in verse one, we see where the serpent asked Eve a question. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And her response in verse two is this. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the garden of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, watch this, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I'm a literal person when it comes to the word. Literal. It's, if it's the word, it's the word. I believe she gave Satan a partially true answer. What do you mean, John? If you go back to chapter two, Verse 17, 16 and 17, let's go there. We'll start with verse 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying. So the Lord commanded man saying, and this is before Eve. This is before the rib was taken out and Eve was formed, okay? You with me? And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. It doesn't say anything about touching the tree. It says nothing about touching the tree. So why did Eve answer that question with, we shall not eat, but nor shall we touch? The Bible does not say, so I cannot give you an answer solidly on why she said that. Did Adam tell her that? Maybe to, like us parents do to our kids? To really put the fear of God in them? Or did Eve just come up with that? To sound, mm, Jesus. 
to sound maybe smarter than what she really was. Because maybe she hadn't heard the direct word. You got to be careful. When you are, re- mm, this, oh Jesus. When you are rebuking the devil, you better speak the word and only the word and not interject your word. Because if you interject your word with the word, it, the word will not work. Let's keep reading verses four through six of chapter three. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the, so when the woman saw, in verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. It's interesting right here that there's Three things Eve was tempted with in this verse. Three. Eve was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw the tree was good for food. That right there is the lust of the flesh. And then that it was pleasant to the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. That right there is the pride of life. Interestingly, let me say this. The devil does not have any new tactics. What he did back in the garden is the same thing he did to Jesus in Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11. And it's the exact same thing what he does to you today. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, we see where Satan tempted Jesus with the lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. It worked with the first man, so he decided he would go to the second perfect man and try it there. Verse 3 says this. Satan was talking to Jesus. He said, command the stones to be made to bread. Tempting him. And that was tempting the lust of the flesh in his human body. I'm gonna stop here for a second. Something Elder Jeff and I have talked about at length. What we need to realize is Jesus was 100% human. But he was also 100% God. Jesus was just finishing up a 40-day fast in the wilderness. He was weak. He was tired physically. He was a 100% man. He was hungry. He's probably hangry. Like some of us get when we don't get out of church in time. So the devil hit him where it hurt. In verse three, command the stones to be turned to bread. Then in verses five and six, the devil even gets braver. He said, cast thyself down. And then he used scripture to prove his point. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say something right now, okay? The devil knows scripture better than any of us sitting in here. Any of us. He knows it from cover to cover. And he will take one scripture and try to pervert it and twist it to get you in your mind to say, did he really say? Every time. So why is it important that you read and study your word? Because your enemy knows the word better than you. So you better study to show yourself approved so you can defend against it. That's good preaching, John. Thank you. So verse 5 and 6, he said, cast thyself down while perverting scripture. That temptation was the pride of life. And also in the midst of twisting the word. And then in verse 8, he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. All of them. He took them to a high place and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he tempted him with the lust of the eyes. So just like he tempted Eve with three, he tempted Jesus with three. But unlike Eve, every time Jesus replied, it is written... And Jesus rebuked Satan because the word knew the word. Then the devil fled from the presence of Jesus. But Eve gave in and did not stand on the warning from God, the true warning of God. And she gave in to temptation and ate the fruit. In this parallel, we see how every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus didn't entertain Satan with a conversation. He didn't entertain him with a conversation. He rebuked Satan with authority. Eve entered this conversation with Satan and tried to have an intellectual conversation with him. We must stop entertaining devils and start rebuking them with the word of God and cast them out, cast him out of our lives and our minds. If we don't, the old saying is so very true. Satan will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you are ever willing to pay and keep you longer than you are willing to stay. Then the Bible goes on to say that she also gave to her husband two key words here. If you have your Bibles, underline them. Two key words. She also gave to her husband with her. With her. And he ate. See, in the second part of verse 6, we see how the family structure, if it's not followed, will lead to destruction and ruin a family. God instituted family before he ever instituted a church or ministry. What is our first mission field? Our family. Not a position in church. Our first mission field is our family. Not position in a church. 
He also refers in the Bible to the bride and the bridegroom when referring to the relationship he has with his chosen people. The devil knows that if he wants to be successful in destroying the move of God in the world, that he needs to destroy the family and the family structure with it. In verse six, it tells us that she gave to her husband with her. When I was growing up, I was taught the story. We were all, those of us who grew up in church, I'm 45, so when I was growing up in Sunday school, we had the cool flammographs. Hey, we didn't have no computers and TV screens and cartoons, no. We had them nasty flammographs, right? And the teacher was in there teaching us about Adam and Eve. And the way I was always taught, not necessarily intentional, but I was always taught that Eve was over here by her lonesome. Poor Eve. She's just over here chilling, living life in the garden. And then all of a sudden, here comes Satan, the tempter. And then Adam, no, man, Adam, he's the man. He's over here doing what God told him to do. He's, He's being righteous and holy. I'm over here. I'm going to name all these animals. I'm doing what God told me to do. Man, hear me roar. I am right. That's what I was taught. But what did the Bible say? The Bible says that he was with her. She wasn't alone. The fact is, Adam was right next to her. So when she took of it and ate it, she turned within arm's reach and gave. Why didn't Adam step in to protect Eve? Why did Adam stand there and listen to what the devil was saying to Eve and not protect the woman? Why? Because the Bible said he was with her. That means he was in earshot, which means they were perfect. So he wasn't deaf. He could hear but he left her hanging out to dry, as we like to say. And unfortunately, that is a question we will never have answered, why he didn't protect his wife. But all we can do is learn from that and not allow the devil to have place or a foothold in our families. Fellas up there, if you could put the picture up on the screen for me real quick, if we have it. This right here is the biblical order of the family. We have Christ as our ultimate covering. Then we have husband who is under the umbrella of Christ And then we have wife under the umbrella of husband and Christ and then children under the umbrella of Christ, husband and wife. 
Husbands should protect the family, lead the family, provide for the family. Wives, comfort, teach, and nurture. Children, love parents, obey parents. This is our basic structure of how families should be structured. Christ is the ultimate covering for man and woman. Man must submit himself and follow Christ in order to be the husband, father, and leader he is called to be. Just because man is the head of the family, y'all hear me now, I'm fixing, I'm fixing to. Just because man is the head of the family under Christ does not give you, men, the authority to be a supreme taskmaster or slave owner of your wife. Not at all. Men, we are called to love our wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. We see this laid out in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 22 through 33. Guess how many verses that is? That's 11. That's 11. Again, here I go with being a nerd in numbers. Number 11, isn't it interesting that it has a dual meaning? Number 11 means either a hero rising or disorder. So when God is giving man instruction, he used 11 verses on purpose. So man, God has called you to love your, love your wives as he's loved his church, and you should do so. And if you love your wife as God loves the church, then you will be a rising hero to your wife and to your family. But if you don't, you will cause disorder, disruption, and chaos in your family. If we use Christ as the example for our husbands, then not only did he give his life for the church, but he supplied the needs of the church. He says, cast your burdens at my feet and I will listen. I will provide, I will protect, I will nurture you. None of that, man, is acting like a slave master. In all actuality, it's an example of servanthood. Servanthood. If you go back to Genesis 2, verse 18, many will use this scripture and Ephesians 5, 22, verses 24 to try to demean women and their role in the family. Genesis 2 verse 18 says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Do you know what comparable means? Comparable means similar or equivalent. A helper similar or equivalent to him. And then Ephesians 5 verses 23 through 24 says this, wives, Submit yourselves to your own husbands. Come on. 
as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so that the wives be to their own, own husbands in everything. And just because God is specific about saying women be subject to your own husbands, husbands be subject to your own wife. Your own. Because Christ, as Christ, there is one God and one God only. There ain't two gods. Make sure it's your own wife and your own husband. God said, I will make him a helper. Again, helper doesn't mean a slave. It means one to come alongside of you, two by two, working together equally, being evenly yoked together. You know who else is called a helper in the Bible? God is called a helper in the Bible. So just because a woman is called a helper, don't demean her, because if you demean her, then you're demeaning God himself. Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalms 33.20 says, our soul waits on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Now, right now, I'm gonna stop, and I wrote it in my note because I already knew it was coming. I bind and cast the spirit of religion out of this place right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Right now. So if you have a religious mindset, cast it down in the name of Jesus. Because if you don't, you're really not gonna like this next part. Too many denominations in the church today have made church into a man's club. Where man, man is high and lifted up with all power. And the woman is just to sit to the side, be quiet, and say nothing in the church. They can work children's ministries, sing on stage. But when it comes to voting, preaching, prophesying, declaring the word of the Lord, they need to sit down and be quiet. That's where denominations have gotten today and are today. Don't believe me? It's pastor's story to tell, but they got a story from just a couple months ago that is evident that it is still that way today in the modern day church. It sickens me because the devil is a liar. The issue with that mindset is that ultimately man is lifted up instead of God being lifted up. That is why we have so many dead churches with no power in today's time. We need to get back to the place where Christ is high and lifted up and we are building his kingdom, not man's kingdom. I remember hearing a sermon, oh man, this was a good sermon, by R.W. Shambach. I didn't know much about R.W. Shambach in my Baptist days. Hey. At all. 
But when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, all of a sudden you want to hear other people filled with the Holy Ghost and get a true preaching. R.W. Schambach taught one time about Mary. <laughs> oh, this is good. He said this, how come God allowed Mary to carry the living word? But man won't allow women to carry the preached word or the written word of God. For nine months she carried the living word of God and the devil has used the spirit of religion to keep women silent for years. I come against the spirit of religion. Women of this house, I declare to you, break the chains of silence off. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And when he puts a fire, a word in your belly, he will bring that word forth and use you to do it, ladies. Ladies, one of your main jobs in the family is to be the gatekeeper of your home. Be the gatekeeper of your home while loving and honoring your husband and protecting your children. By setting the example of submitting and loving your husband, it is an active testimony day after day to your children and to your husband of how to live within the godly family structure. I have heard my wife teach on this very thing a few times now. And I encourage you, it's a good word about being the gatekeeper. And it's so important, ladies, young ladies, listen to me, young ladies, to be the gatekeeper of your houses. Here in a little bit, I'm gonna explain a little bit more why. See, if one level of the family structure gets out of whack, the whole thing can crumble to the ground. That's why it's so important for husbands to seek and love God more than anything. Wives, seek and love God more than anything. When you both put God first in your marriage, you will go closer as a couple. And you will see peace and joy and love in the family. The old, the old uh, 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 picture, I'll use picture since I can't think of a cool word. The old picture of a triangle shows man on one side, husband, wife on one side, God at the top. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. Husbands, you should not love your wives more than you love God. Wives, you should not love your husband more than you love God. Period. Now, there are times I'm not ignorant to the fact to where the family structure is messed up because there's no husband in the mix. Wife, mother, that does not give you an excuse to not stay under the covering of Christ. Because you have children to protect. Just because he walked out and he's worthless doesn't mean that you still don't have a responsibility to your children. So there are times when this gets all out of whack, but the key component, the constant, the constant is Christ, always. Young people, you don't, you, you don't get left out either, all right? 
This is for you too. Ephesians 6.1, it talks about honoring your father and mother and that this is the first commandment with promise. Honoring your father and mother. And you know what the cool thing is, adults? That word still means you too. If your parents are still alive, you are to honor your mother and father. Just because you are married and have your own children doesn't mean that you get to quit honoring your mother and your father. In Revelations 12, 11, it says this, and they overcame him. Who's him? Satan. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We have just seen in scripture the example of Adam and Eve and how they fell. Now, as Revelation 12 says, let me share my testimony and tell you how I failed. <laughs> now, here's the hard part of this whole sermon for me, because I'm fixing to bear my soul to you and let you know the example of what I did and how I failed. But you know what? My failure is a kick in the teeth to the devil because he didn't win. Many of you who know me know I was born and raised in church. I was in church nine months before I was born. Literally. Every school I went to through high school was affiliated with the church that we were a part of. So what did that mean? That meant that five days a week I had a Bible class my entire life growing up. That means Wednesday we had chapel. That means I was at church Sunday morning for Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, or three, three, three services on Sunday, two services technically on Wednesday because I had chapel and I had Wednesday night service. And then we had all the revivals and then we had all the small meetings and then we had uh, a visitation, then we had all these things. So in my flesh, arrogantly, I will say this, and, and not, not in an arrogant way, but back then I was arrogant, I had the most intense head knowledge of the word that you could have. Oh, and I left out two years of college. I was a Jerry's kid. Liberty University, two years of college, and I had even two more years of constant teaching and training, constantly having to memorize verses, constantly having to know the word. The problem is I knew the word, but I didn't know the word. There's a huge difference there, ladies and gentlemen. So when the storm of my life came, I did not have a firm foundation to stand on. Because I had a head knowledge, but I had no heart knowledge. Life was going good. I was traveling on the road. I met my beautiful wife on the road. We got married. Life was awesome. Then I got a phone call one day. I got a phone call that my mother had passed away. Suddenly. I just talked to her the day before. She was fine. The next morning, she was dead. I had no solid foundation to turn to right then. So from that, I started a downward spiral. Because let me tell you something, and I'm proud to say I was a mama's boy. I loved my mama. I still love my mama. 
and I honor my mama. She was the kind of mama, it didn't matter when you had a bad day. I don't care if the wheels fall off of everything. She could somehow say one phrase. And it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I may have to walk 10 miles, but it's awesome. That's how she was. And when that happened, I got angry. I got real angry. And I got bitter because I had a head knowledge, not a heart knowledge of God. And then I started questioning everything I was ever taught. Is God even real? How do I know that the Muslims don't have it right? How do I know that Buddha and all the rest of these people, how do, how do I know that it's not right? How do, I, how do I not know that, you know, maybe I am my own God, new age? How, how do I not know? Why? Because the, the, as long as everything was going good, and God was, was awesome, and I was in church, and everything was going just right. I didn't really face a storm. God was cool, and God was good. But then when I got hit in the face with a storm, I had nothing to stand on. And then you know what the devil said to me? Did God really say? I was like, well, I really don't know. I mean, it says he said it, but I, I, I don't know. At the time, I was traveling I was driving a bus for all different kind of music acts, rock, country, you name it. I was driving artists that were in the top 10 grossing tours of the world. I was traveling these massive tours. But the problem is I was gone for three to four months at a time. I never saw my family. When I came home, my wife was on the road. We were literally ships passing in the middle of the night. Oh, hey, nice to see you. Oh, yeah, you're my wife. Oh, okay, that's cool. Bye. She was gone. And the spiral just kept going down and down. I got angrier, I got darker, I got angrier, I got darker. And then all of a sudden, if that wasn't bad enough, then we were challenged as a couple. We have one son, Logan, but that wasn't our plan. We wanted at least three to four kids. It took years, and finally, my sweet wife got pregnant. And I thought, okay, God, finally. You are real, okay, cool. Two weeks later, she miscarried and the baby was gone. I watched the pain come over my wife that I cannot explain to you and I didn't know how to help it. But the problem is, is as deep as her pain was, so was mine because I wanted the baby just as bad as she did. But as a man, I couldn't show it. So since I couldn't show it, what did I do? I reclused. I got deeper inside of my anger and hatred. The rules on the road of rock and roll and country tours, I'm sorry if I'm giving it up to everybody, I apologize, but the rules on the road is this. What happens on the road stays on the road. And there was a code out there. And let me tell you something, I opened myself up to perversion, I opened myself up to alcohol, but yet I had to keep an assemblance of myself in check because of my license, and I didn't want to lose it. But then when I come home, I would put on the fake face of dad and loving husband. Come on. 
A few years later, my sweet wife gets pregnant again. Okay, well, maybe, God, I need to straighten up. Maybe you are real. A week later, she miscarriages again. You wonder why I have a tattoo on my forearm that says 1 Peter 5, 7 and a ribbon of miscarriage? That's why. Because it's a reminder to me every day that even though the pain was great and even though the pain was horrible, I can throw all my burdens on him because he cares for me. But you see, those miscarriages took a toll on my wife, caused her to doubt. She didn't have a husband who was protecting her and covering her. So now she was exposed. And she fell. As the gatekeeper of our house, we opened up our house to things that weren't supposed to be in a godly house. And see how the devil will twist what the Bible says. He says that the bedroom of a husband and wife is not defiled. So it's okay if it's just us as husband and wife if we bring pornography in to our bedroom. It's okay because the bedroom's not defiled. The devil is a liar. And then all of a sudden, couldn't sleep. Let's try some wine. Okay, cool. A glass turned into two glasses. Two glasses turned into a bottle. Then all of a sudden, wine wasn't good enough. It didn't numb it enough. Well, let's have a case of beer. No, that didn't work either. Okay, well, let's get something harder. How about some liquor? How about some Jack? Okay, that ain't working either. Oh man, I love coffee. So let, let's go get some of that Patron coffee liqueur and let's pour that in there. I can drink my coffee and have my liquor at the same time. All the while toting the flag of being the God-fearing Christian. It got to the point where I was on the road with an artist. I was by myself. I was on a single bus tour. I had two people on my bus. I was in Canada, 3,000 3, miles away from home. I could take you to the spot, Toronto, in a hotel alone. And I called my wife to talk to her and to talk to my son. And when she answered the phone, her tone was different. And I knew it but I didn't know what it was. I said, Tara, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. I said, yes, it is. There's something wrong. What's going on? You know, when, you're, when you spend so much time apart, you can even hear the simple influx in a voice and know that there's something wrong. So even though I had strayed on my wife, I still knew her enough to know when something was wrong. And finally, I'll be honest with you, I did what I could to make her mad just so she would tell me what was wrong. And she finally blurted out, I don't love you. She said, well, actually, I love you, but I am not in love with you anymore. I'm done. Click. 
I was 3,000 miles from home by myself alone. And I had no foundation to stand on. So what happened? I got angry again. And I said, God, I'm done. And I had a frank conversation with God, me and him. And let me tell you something. I wasn't, oh, holy Jesus, thou art worthy. I was hollering. I was screaming. I was using four-letter words that no one should talk to God like. But I did not care because I was hurt. And I said, you know what, God? All these years, I have, as I thought, served you, which I never really did. But I know enough of your word that you say, if I will fast and pray that you will move. Okay, cool, I dare you. So what I'm gonna do, God, is I am gonna fast and I'm gonna pray, and if you don't change my life, then I will curse you to the day I die, and every person that has ever preached a word to me, I will go tell them they are hypocrites and they are liars. And I meant it. But you know what's awesome about God, ladies and gentlemen? In my rawness, in my realness, in my pain, in my anger, he smiled and said, finally, I got you where I want you. You know why? God's not scared of your anger. God's not scared of your words. God is not scared for you to be honest with him. As a matter of fact, quit trying to pray churchy prayers and get honest with God for once. I was 10 days in. The only thing I was drinking to kind of keep myself going was coffee because I had to drive at night. I dropped this artist off in downtown Chicago and I had enough time to get out of Chicago, come back across the 80, turn south on I-65, and the very first truck stop I came to, I pulled in. I had to take a mandatory DOT break. I had been fasting and I had been praying really not convinced anything was going to happen. And that day, <laughs> that day as I usually did half-heartedly, I would sit there and I'd just flop the Bible open. Okay, God, what are you gonna tell me today? And when I flopped the Bible open that day, funny thing happened. It opened up to Romans. <laughs> chapter 8 and I started reading Romans chapter 8 really for the first time and then I got to verse 15 <laughs> and it says this for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
And in that instant, I had a vision for the first time in my life, and I saw myself as an orphan child sitting, home, sitting in, 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 in an alley in a fetal position, shaking, freezing cold with rain, and there were kids lined up all around me. And then all of a sudden, I saw a light come by, and the light was Jesus, and he reached down and he picked me out of all of them. And he whispered in my ear for the first time, he said, I love you. And in an instant, an instant, I wasn't in a church, I wasn't in an altar, I was in a truck stop on a bus. God set me free, delivered me from all the anger, fear, and pain I had ever experienced in my life and set me on a new way. But you see, the story's not over right there. The story's not over because God had done a work in me, but he still had work to do for my wife. I got home, not knowing what I was walking into. When I got home, she left the house and I was able to pick up our son. I had him for a day. The next day I took him to school and dropped him off. And then I got a phone call from the teacher saying, why is Logan not in school? I said, I just dropped him off. My wife had come to pick him up, to take him on a trip because she knew that that day there was gonna be an officer, a sheriff's officer showing up to my house and knocking on the door and serving me with papers of divorce. And she didn't want our son to see that. you know what happened this time instead of getting angry I got on my knees I said God what am I doing here I know I screwed up but don't take my family please and see at this point in my life I still had a whole lot of Baptists and not really any Pentecostal in me But yet, the funny thing is, is all those scriptures that I had a head knowledge of started taking root and growing inside of me instantly. And I remember in scripture where it says, anoint your house. Well, I didn't have any special oil. Again, Baptist boy. So I went to the cabinet and I got out of the cabinet some vegetable oil. I said, well, this will have to do. So I took that vegetable oil into our bedroom and I laid it on the bed and I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. But I know enough that you said if you lay your hands on it and pray over it and, 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 and anoint it that you would activate this oil. So that's what I did. And then I got a rag and I started pouring oil on that rag. And, and I remembered in Exodus where it said that they would anoint the doorposts of the house and that the death angel would not come in and kill. 
So I started anointing every doorpost inside and out. And it wasn't just the entrance into my house. It was into my bathrooms, my bedrooms, my laundry room, into my garage. Every doorpost, I anointed both sides. So then the time came and I had to go back on the road. While I was on the road, Tara would come stay at the house with our son, and I would call her on the phone. She had no idea I anointed the house. But when I called her on the phone, she was different. There was a softness in her voice. She she made statements like, because it it was around the holiday time, she would make statements like, hey, John, I, I don't want us to be separated for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Maybe we could do that together. I said, oh, yeah. And so I, I, I had a little bit of hope. But then I would come home and she would leave the house. And she would go stay with one of her brothers. And then all of a sudden I would call her and she would be cold as ice. Refusing to talk to me. And I'll never forget it. It was the night of the Romney-Obama election. I was sitting there watching the returns, bored. But all I could think about was my family but I was tired and I had enough I called her and I said Tara please meet me face to face let's talk this out just face to face just just once you owe me that and she responded once again with no we'll have nothing to say to you this is over and I said fine if that's how you want it fine But you know what, I'm asking you to seek counsel outside of our family nucleus. Just seek seek outside counsel, something. The next morning, I'm sitting there in my living room. My nephew Seth was was with me. And we were sitting there talking, he was getting ready to go and all of a sudden we heard the garage door open. He looked at me, I looked at him, I said, "Uh uh-oh. He said, who's that, Uncle John? I said, well, bub, I'm gonna be honest with you, it's either a robber, which I'll get the gun. I said, that's your Aunt Tara. He said, well, either way, I'm out. (laughs) Fair. I said, all right, peace out, thanks for the help. True story. Let me tell you how awesome God is. My wife pulled her car in the garage and she opened the door and when she opened the door, she started to cry. (laughs) She started to cry, she came down and she sat next to me, she said, I cannot promise you one thing, but what I can promise you is I'll try. glory of God the Father, two weeks later we walked hand in hand with divorce papers to the lawyer's office, (laughs) laid them on her desk and said, we won't be needing these anymore. gentlemen, that structure is very important. And it's time, 
husbands, wives, men, women, we start taking it seriously. Young men, I want to declare this over your life. It's time to start preparing and acting like the head of your own household, being honorable and holy men of valor, praying, fasting, seeking God, asking God to leave your every thought and step and ask for him to become a worthy vessel and used for his glory. Young ladies, it's time for you to start being the gatekeepers of your household and your future household. By being honorable, holy women of valor, praying, fasting, not allowing evil into your mind or your house. Men, we live in a time and a generation where we want all the credit but not the responsibility. It's time for us men and young men alike to stand up and make a decision that I will start and I will continue to be the man God has called me to be. The problem is that we don't want to stand up because that means commitment. We just aren't sure we want to commit to be a 24-7 man of God. You know why, men? Because of the spirit of pride, we're fair, we, 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 are, we are scared of failure. It's time to let that go. We must stop playing around and step up and be mighty men of valor that God has called us to be. Watchmen, always on the wall, watching and protecting our families. Fasting, praying, showing up physically and emotionally for our wives and children. We need to get these, get back in these altars and seek the face of God. We need to have our hands lifted in praise and we need to stop caring what others think of our praise. It's time to drop our pride and submit to the Father in heaven and submit to each other and be accountable for his honor and for his glory. Ladies, it's time for women and young women alike to stand up and commit to fight for the family. Be the gatekeepers of your home and women of valor. Continue in prayer and fasting over your family and your church. Keep allowing God to use you in the church and at home to cast and chase devils out. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, it's time we stand together to fight for holiness and righteousness in our homes and our family. It's time we stop allowing the devil in our space and listening to temptation. It's time to turn the TV off, put down our phones, open the Word of God again, inviting the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us and direct our lives. We cannot allow the devil to have access in our lives anymore. Today is the day to make that commitment. Today is the day to commit to not allowing this, the enemy a seat at your table. Today is the day to take a stand to fight for your life, fight for your family, fight for the lives of the future generations to come. Just like Adam and Eve fell in sin and it affected the lives of all who came after them, 
So today you can make a decision to reverse the curse over your family's lives and speak holiness, peace, prosperity, and blessing over your family. Everybody stand, everybody stand, everybody stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Listen, we have to stop putting on the face of church when we walk in and it's time to get our lives turned around and straightened out. For years, I watched my father be angry and verbally abusing me and my mother all the way to church, 30 minutes, but then walk into church, raise his hand, praise God, hallelujah, and then get back in the church and start it right back over again and never change. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, that we stop allowing things in our lives and in our homes. But here's the deal. If there's somebody in here and you are not saved, today's the day to get that right. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you don't even understand fully anything I'm talking about and you wanna meet this man, Jesus, who can save your life, please raise your hand. Raise your hand quickly, quickly, quickly. Mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, today's the day to make a commitment, to make a stand. Today's that day. Today's the day that God can heal your marriage. You may have come to church and you are on the brink of divorce yourself, but let me tell you, God can heal that marriage. Your marriage is not too far gone for God to heal it because mine was dead and he brought it back to life. And not only did he bring it back to life, but he made it better than it was ever before. But you got to do your part. So as I pray, if you need prayer, if you need your family restored, if you want your family strengthened, get to these altars. Prayer team, elders, come and let's Let our prayer team, let our elders pray over you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, even now, God, I pray, Lord, that you will set free, Lord, those who are coming. God, I pray, Lord, that right now you will set free the minds of those, God. I pray, Lord, that you will restore marriages. God, I pray that you will restore homes, that you will restore men and women, God, to be righteous and holy, God. I pray, Lord, that you will move in this altar service even now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, come to the altar. If you need prayer, come to the altar.